Welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. It's late August, and that means we get to be pretty serious about a bunch of different races going on at once. I know people have strong opinions about this, but I love to be able to talk about the Vuelta, the Tour of Scandinavia, the Renui Tour. There's all kinds of things to be pretty serious about today on this show. And as ever, I can't wait to talk about all of those things with my co-host, Bike racing analyst extraordinaire, Cosmo Catalano. Cosmo, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Dane. And we are joined this week by Ruth Edwards, racing star, gravel and mountain bike star at the moment, former road star. Ruth, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, All right, well, we're here to talk about road racing. I hope that's okay with you. I mean, I know you're all into the gravel now. (laughs) But um, perfect. Yeah, great. Uh, we have Welta to talk about. Lots to talk about at the Welta. Maybe some things that we. I mean, I always hype this race. Uh, I love to talk about the Welta. I love to talk about how exciting it is. A lot of the talking points from the Welta over the first few days, maybe not the kinds of talking points we wanted to have, <laughs> but they're here. We're going to talk about them, and at least it makes things interesting. Tour of Scandinavia also happened. The Renui Tour. It's a World Tour race. You may have heard of it by other names but uh it it did have some pretty big name winners so we'll at least touch on that a little bit maybe do a little quick look at what's ahead of the vuelta in this show lots to do here uh but before we get into it let me tell you that you should go sign up over at escapecollective.com slash join to become a supporter of this podcast of all the other awesome podcasts we do of escapecollective.com and all the stories we write over there Regardless of whether you're a fan of the racing or the tech, everything in between, we need your support. So, escapecollective.com slash join. If you go sign up, you'll become a member of a pretty cool crew. Uh, we got we got some really cool members. Our community is really great. And uh, the community also includes some people who are lifetime members. And those lifers deserve a little bit of a shout-out. So we're going to give them one here. want to give some thanks to Mike Miles, Dash Bodington, Bob Ippolito, Ross Allen, and Ben Lowe. Thank you for being lifetime members of Escape Collective. Your support means everything to us, and uh, we're really grateful. All right, on with the show. So, Vuelta a España. We are three stages into the race as of recording time. Cosmo, after three stages, where, where do things stand? How has the race been? Not quite one, but you know, <laughs> a couple of stages has been at least so far. It's been interesting. Uh, the, the, the opening stage was a team time trial won by uh, team DSM Firminich. I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, pretty much because they went when it was sunny and well, when there was daylight and it was not raining. I think the organizers were going for a kind of golden hour uh, sort of opening day and ended up with something that looked like an outtake from Blade Runner. A lot of rain, a lot of headlights, not not a lot of traction. Um a lot of people fell down. A lot of people had feelings about it. This kind of led into stage two, which had a, a kind of tight finishing circuit up a steep climb and descent. Uh, I think there were initially plans to cut the finishing times to the top of the climb. And there was an argument that I might address later that said that that wasn't good enough. So they cut them at the bottom of the climb. Yet about 20 of the cool kids decided to contest the stage. Andreas Krohn kind of slipped away over the very top. He had a teammate in the group that helped break up the chase and took a nice solo win, pointing at the sky for his fallen teammate. Always cool to see. And then today we got a mountain stage uh, with a very unsettled GC because none of the there wasn't a huge GC difference in the opening stages. And 
Um, yeah, a couple of guys took a shot, but it was mostly a 20-ish rider sprint into the finish, taken by Remco Evnepoel, who promptly crashed into the assembled uh, press and media and etc. after the finish line. Seems like he's okay. But yeah, weird race so far. Oh yeah, we also didn't know who was winning the GC after stage two for like an hour uh, while they tried to put together who had crossed the invisible finish line at what time of the day. All right, so obviously lots of talking points there, many of them of yeah. the kind of frustrating or weird nature. Look, I, I, I always like to say that this is a race that deserves more attention. It deserves more fan eyeballs. I think there's there's been plenty of media stories after the first few days plenty of reasons for people to click on stories but yeah, maybe plenty of attention yeah less not so much for the reasons that we wanted uh, it's not a good look for the Vuelta organizers that's for sure uh the, the the team time trial and the stage two route to me that the most frustrating things about those are that they're not circumstances that should have been all that surprising i mean if you start a race that late into the day that you might not be able to see stuff if things get rainy and that's what happened. The route of the second stage. I mean, again, it's like this is the route that was planned. Why Why didn't you just do a different route if you're going to have these issues? It just it makes the, the organizers of this race, a race that is owned by ASO, by the way, uh, it makes them look less professional than you want out of a grand tour. Uh, and and that's, that's frustrating. And Remco Evenepoel expressed his frustrations after the team time trial, he was very unhappy with what happened in terms of the conditions. I think he was probably pretty happy with what happened in terms of the actual racing. Sudal Quickstep did great in that opening TTT, whereas Yumbo lost time, which was very much not what was expected. <laughs> but the conditions were frustrating to Evanapool, who once again was frustrated after stage three when he said, quote, it's a bit breaking my balls, which is something I didn't know that Belgians knew that phrase. That's like not, that's a... That's a Sopranos kind of phrase. I, I wasn't really expecting to hear that out of Remco. Uh, but yeah, he was not happy with the situation at the finish line where he crashed. Yeah, I mean, I get where he's coming from, but I I think his objections, uh, especially on stage two, were maybe a little overstated. He 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 complained that if you take the finish, the time at the top of the mountain, whoever has the time there will almost certainly be in the lead with enough gap to try and defend it all the way down into the finish. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, that's how bike racing works. And you, you either, I don't know. I feel like I understand the, the push for safety, especially because it's the you know, second day of a three-week long race. But at a certain point, like, it's a grand tour. You're supposed to do these these hard stages early on. And if you're worried about taking the risks to win the day, you know, don't take the risk and make it up at some other point of the course. Chances are your GC competitors are going to be thinking the same way too. Um, but that's, you know, it's easy for me to say not in the race. Well, to Remco's credit, I mean, he, he is making these, his frustrations known after having done quite well on these stages. You know, he, he, he's not complaining from a point of having lost time. He's complaining after having done great in the opening TTT and won stage three. I agree, but he's complaining less about his result and more about he doesn't even want to take the risk of a bad result. He really wants right. to just kind of neutralize everything. And that's where I'm kind of like, well, you know, these should be open. You can go to the front of the peloton and say, hey, let's not race today. And people can agree with you or not agree with you uh, at their peril. Ruth, you've raced the Giro, and I know that race particularly there was a stretch of a couple of years where there were a lot of rider complaints about the way things were being organized. It, it was 
Sometimes there have been issues, and other races too, I'm sure, that I don't know about, where you've had less than ideal organizational conditions. Does that kind of get into your head as a racer? How do, how do you how do you kind of react to that if you're in the peloton trying to win your race while also maybe thinking about those things? I think it's just really frustrating for everybody. I think maybe the people that have more media or are most winning seem to be a bit louder sometimes, but it's definitely frustrating for everybody that's in the peloton because nobody wants to be winning in unsafe conditions. And at the end of the day, you're all asking us to race our bikes. So we're not going to just like probably stop on our own that only happens when there's enough of like the biggest riders in the peloton that are like this is what's happening which i think in my career maybe only happened once or twice when i can remember bronzini and uh ina teutenberg just being like okay which one of us is going to win we're neutral now like this is stupid (laughs) yeah so it definitely happens and it's frustrating that it happens especially because we're supposed to have kind of all these organizations in place to take care of us and while it's happening like in the middle of a race you're like well what are we supposed to do about this right now um and especially right after a race too emotions are really high so you know it's hard not to just like come out with maybe stuff you don't exactly always mean but just gut reaction as well uh have you ever done a a tt or a a team time trial in the rain in the dark because that to me looked particularly (laughs) sketch no, and that was really bad. Like to me, I was kind of like, it would it like if it wasn't raining, would it have even been okay? Or was the fact that it was raining what made it bad? And I'm kind of like, if it's that late, then it's probably was never really going to be okay. And they they should have they should have gotten their gravel bikes for this, right? Like I don't I don't <laughs> think I don't think there's a road width limitation on on UCI tires. And I mean, I think some 40s would have been perfect for those conditions. Uh, there was minutes out there for the team that could actually steer uh, at a speed of faster than 15 miles an hour. The second stage, you know, the, the safety concerns aside, the the win was, I think, a big story for the Lotto Destiny team. Andreas Krohn paying tribute to his teammate Tilda Decker, who died only a few days ago in a training crash. Uh, just awful news from, from Lotto Destiny. De Decker was a really promising young rider. He had won the under-23 edition of Paris-Roubaix, someone that I, a lot of people are very excited about and uh, gone all, all so suddenly and so young. Uh, and so for Andreas Krohn, I think this was a really uh, nice moment to be able to, to do this, to pay a tribute to his teammates so early into this Vuelta uh, and and to, yeah, to kind of give this team something to be happy about, something to celebrate. Uh, for you know, on, the, on the racing side, Krohn, 25 years old, and he's someone who, is really starting to collect some some nice wins uh, in in stage races. Uh, he's generally kind of a rider who takes this kind of stage win, and he was uh, up there at Amstel this year too. So promising, you know, maybe twenty five isn't so young anymore in the grand scheme of things in cycling these days when we have so many Grand Tour contenders in their early twenties. But still, I think Krohn is a rider that Lotto, a team that really needs good news. Obviously, they had this horrible, horrible, horrible news about the Decker. They also just they need they need more results and it's uh, I think they're they're going to be pretty pleased at least with this turn of events the first World Tour win of the year I think uh, Andreas Krohn's stage win I believe they went yeah eight months without a World Tour win so uh, good on Andreas Krohn for for achieving that and then yeah let's talk about stage three there there was a uh, actual GC racing to an extent uphill GC prologue yeah. Uh, we had, we had some action from the super domestiques. That was entertaining as somebody who completely, uh, unashamed to say, I mean, I, I want to see Sepkus win races. I hope that's fine. I hope it's okay for me to, to say that. I know I'm supposed to be unbiased, but 
you know, he's from Colorado, so come on. Uh, he was up there trying to make it happen today. Mark Soler, who I've also expressed how much I love watching him race, mostly because of the drama. Uh, he was up there trying to chase down Sepkus. In the end, we got kind of a sprint where I have to say, I and I think a lot of the commentators uh, were expecting Primoz Roglic to be in the mix there because that's what he does. He likes to hold on for a, a 200-meter sprint at the end of a, of a hard climbing stage. Uh, not only was he not the Yumbo rider who was even in with a chance there, uh, Remco just kind of kind of destroyed everybody. I mean, it wasn't a huge margin in the end, uh, but he showed that he's got a lot of punch, which maybe shouldn't be all that surprising uh, to us, considering he's a rider who has won, you know, some Ardennes classics. Uh, but still, a real big statement, I think, from Evanapool, one that I don't think will have too much of an impact on the overall battle because it's just a few seconds. But to come away with that, emphatic win uh i think he really puts himself into the conversation as the rider that everybody's gonna be watching i think it sets him up really well i think he obviously does better when he's feeling like he's on top so it'll just be cool to see how he races the rest of the tour now yeah as a rider who does race so much on feel i mean we 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 do like to criticize him for his tactical mistakes sometimes, but it also means I think when he does, yeah, as you say, when he does have this confidence builder, it, it's going to help. Uh, he did jokingly say after the stage that he, when he was asked about taking the red jersey, you know, just this early in the race, he initially said, unfortunately, but I think he was clearly <laughs> kidding there. Uh, and I think, yeah, he's going to be riding with some confidence. Uh, he did crash, got his face all bloody, seemed to be fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, headwinds, headwinds bleed a lot. Like, um, no, you could just get a tiny little cut, and it's like 30 seconds later, your face is covered in blood. So it's, That's a good it's point. so tough to tell, like, because he still had his helmet on and everything. And he, it was kind of a two-part crash. Like, he hit a person, hit the ground, and then rolled into a fence. I think he may have cut it rolling into the fence, just because, like, where he was cut was, like right, like, right at the edge of where his helmet would have been. He didn't seem messed up afterwards, for sure. Yeah, he pretty quickly was celebrating with his team seemed seemed to be in good spirits uh they cleaned up his face really well for the cameras by the way i noticed yeah, initially there's a lot of camera shots of him just covered in blood and then uh looked like he hadn't gotten hurt at all for a moment there when he was on camera and then it was starting to show up again uh but yeah he did look okay this is we're recording this literally like within an hour after the stage though so it is possible that he's we hospitalized will find out. for the hematoma. We need to edit the show. <laughs> yeah, we find out that he's actually seriously hurt. Well, that yeah, that could change things. Uh, for now, it seemed like he was okay, but we don't really know. If he is okay in terms of his head wound, uh, he certainly looks good in terms of form. Jonas Vingago, I have to say I was slightly... I shouldn't be surprised. He, he's Jonas Vingago. He just won his second Tour de France. I was a little bit surprised to see him so sprightly on this final climb. Uh, showing some punch, being the only one who even was close to Remco this early in the race. I kind of thought he was going to be building into form, but he seemed pretty good today. We we saw it at the tour. He was up he was up to party on those first couple of stages. It was, it's actually kind of interesting to look at this in light of the tour. Like the tour had the kind of funky start with hard stages early that went right, and the Vuelta thus far has sort of been the comedic version of that, where things kind of go wrong. But it, I, I wasn't too surprised to see him up there. I was like most people. I was more surprised that that Roglic wasn't wasn't more involved, especially with Kuz doing all the work, kind of leading out that final group. Um, but you know, it's a second, some bonus time. 
uh, plenty of plenty of room to make up uh, for what may have been a miscue on on Yumbo's part. Yeah, I mean to go back to the tour, it's we we had such a extremely close battle in the early goings, and it seemed like every second was going to count, and then it kind of didn't in the end. It was it was a very decisive stage, you know, blow that 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 uh, youngest figure go struck in the mountains, and so maybe within two weeks we're going to find out that this one second difference between Evanapol and everybody else wasn't actually that big of a deal. I did want to point out that DSM had a a strong showing as a team that actually seemed to be interested in the GC, which we don't often see lately uh, with Roman with Roman Bardet. But hey, good for them for trying. They had they set the pace for a while, like twenty three k from the line. Yeah, from <laughs> like, a ways out. I was like, did you guys forget it rained during the TTT? Like, I don't you really didn't, you know. Didn't win this on power. <laughs> I have to think they felt like Roman Bardet was in really good form. He tried a little move, didn't really get that far off the front and ultimately lost some time on the day but hey good on them for trying to see what they could achieve with Ramon Bardet at this point in his career the other big talking point Ineos three stages into this race basically uh, I think we've seen that their GC bid is is just not gonna it's not gonna be what they want uh, Garen Thomas finished pretty far down on the Aaron Saul ski station finish on stage three. What was he? 30, 47 seconds back, right behind Egon Bernal. So Bernal actually finished just ahead of Gary Thomas. And if you were expecting the rider who was so close to winning the Giro to be up there at the Vuelta, I think you are unfortunately disappointed with today's result. Um, kind of a, just a, a reflection of the team in general. I mean, Gary Thomas, Egon Bernal, two of their, Biggest name riders, riders who have been such big stars, not really uh, achieving the results that they wanted uh, this early into the race. So, uh, Team and Aaronsman, I think, maybe the maybe the guy. I mean, he was only twenty seven seconds down today, still a little bit down, but uh, he's he's the Ineos Grenadier who might be the best uh, best positioned for this Welta GC battle. I think Thomas was one of the few of the maybe big GC favorites to lose time. I guess. Mika Landa, if you want to include him in that category, also lost a bunch of time today. So his uh, would-be Vuelta bid, I think, is already more or less over. I'm not sure if you counted him among the favorites, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, maybe just to recap, though, after three stages, Remco Evenepoel is your race leader. Enric Moss, second, doing doing really well. He had a great, well, his team had a great opening TTT, and I think that helped a lot. The young Lenny Martinez for Groupama in third. And then Jonas Vingago sitting fourth, and Vingago and Roglic. I think we're probably expected to be a little, uh, a little better positioned by this point in the race, given that we probably, they probably thought they were going to do better in the the team time trial, and yeah, not so much. Although Vingago did look good today, and there's a big race, a lot of a lot of racing to come. But yeah, advantage so far, Remco Evenepoel. Uh, also, UAE had a, had a nice showing today with Ayuso, Mark Soler. Uh, Jay Vine, Joe Almeida. I mean, that whole team clearly has designs for this this overall battle. It's not just Yumbo versus Remco, and I think UAE is the big team to watch there. They they do have the numbers to to try to control the race too, so that's a, a storyline to follow. Okay, last talking point from the Vuelta is what's coming up at the race. What is the Vuelta peloton going to be doing in between now and our next pretty serious show? As usual at the Vuelta, lots of 
climbing, whether that's uncategorized climbs, little hills, punchy, punchier climbs, big mountains, whatever. They're all over the place. In the first stretch of racing at the Vuelta, the first quote-unquote week, and uh, you know we've been talking about this for the past several days, how this Vuelta really doesn't ease into things. They, they jump right into it. I mean, obviously they've had two stages so far that have had GC implications, the, the Triple T and the the mountain stage on stage three, and there's going to be more action coming up. So stages four and five uh, may be sprint days. There, there are some climbs in the back end of both stages, but they end with relatively fast finisher, friendly finales. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm thinking we might get some some sprint days there. We'll see. Uh, stage four, by the way, heads into Tarragona. So we're leaving Andorra, getting back into Catalonia in Spain uh, and... As you'll know if you read my cultural notebook, Tarragona, a former Roman colony. Um, you can read all about that and more. That's so, so, so much more if you have a lot of time. Make sure you've, you've saved a little bit of time to read it because I really didn't uh, I didn't hold back. I, I really uh, maybe maybe could have made it shorter, but I chose not to. Uh, and, and so if you want all that kind of information, Rome, Carthage, Middle Ages, all that good stuff, head over to escapecollective.com, read the cultural notebook. Yeah, Tarragona, stage four. And stage five, again, possibly a sprinter's day with some with some hills thrown in. And then stage six, the GC riders are going to come to the fore again uh, as they climb up a Category 1 climb with a 7-point-something percent gradient. Uh, that's going to be a day that I think we're going to see, again, some, maybe something similar to today. I don't think we're going to see an all-out battle, but more more of the... Pressure being applied by the teams that are interested and possibly more of the Gary Thomas-style situations where... Maybe not a lot of riders gaining a bunch of time, but some riders might be might be losing it. Uh, stage seven is an actual, real, flat final hour of racing that should be a sprint day. Not a whole lot of those at the Vuelta, but I think we're going to see that on stage seven. And then stage eight is more of a traditional Vuelta stage where there's a there's some punchy climbs. There's a cat one with an eleven point something percent gradient inside the final few kilometers. Uh, although the race doesn't end there, but that could be a nice springboard for an attack. Yeah, could be interesting to say the least. Stage 9, finally the last day before the first rest day, and I think they're going to be looking forward to it after this stage because there is a Category 2 climb to close things out and a yeah, just a very steep finale. Uh, so it, it could be another stage where we see yet again some some GC action. None of these are really huge GC days, but with the gradients on offer, I think it's just going to be hard for riders to finish on the same time. So by the time we arrive at the first rest day, we should have more of an idea of, of how this race is going to you know, shake out in the GC department. And yeah, lots to look forward to as the race makes its way south along the Mediterranean coast uh, towards Cartagena for that ninth stage. And then they're going to they're gonna make a turn and head into north-central Spain uh, beyond that, beyond that uh, first rest day. So plenty to look forward to at the Vuelta. Hopefully we'll see maybe less chaos. All right, Tour of Scandinavia just finished. We had perhaps the favorite taking the win, but it was a pretty interesting race nonetheless with a bunch of different storylines along the way. Cosmo, can you sum it up here in just a few a few brief seconds? What happened? A lot of Cecilia Tripludui trying to gain enough time uh, in every way possible, whether that's a sprint or trying to get away clear uh, at the end of a stage, get bonuses, get time, hopefully get enough cushion on Anamique van Vloten for the TT. Uh, she did not quite succeed, but made for a very entertaining race uh, 
otherwise. And also, Lorena Mavis, really fast and really strong. Uh, picked up a couple sprints. Yeah, in the end, Enemy Van Voyten taking the win by just two seconds, which, you know, on the one hand, uh, masterful GC racing, because all that really matters is that you take the win. She didn't win any stages. That's fine. She took the overall win. And, of course, she's retiring at the end of the year. So I think this is very important to her to, to take this big victory. She had won the Giro earlier and then had maybe, I think, for her, a bit of a frustrating Tour de France. Uh, so back on top here with, I guess, just one race left in her career. Uh, but good on Annemiek van Vleuten for doing what she does, which is climbing, TTing, everything perfectly to get the win. On the other hand, yeah, Cecilia Trip-Ludwig is a rider who has been kind of She's had big wins before, obviously, but she's someone who often has come close to taking wins and then hasn't quite pulled it off. And in this race, she won two stages, took the points title, second overall. I'm sure she wanted to win the race, but still a great race and actually some wins, some some results out of this. So good on, good on her. It's it's you know you do something like a late attack in a classic and you get a podium maybe, um, but which she was super stoked on at Worlds. But here actually. Her ability to kind of snag those bonus seconds, you know, even if the late attack fails, she still managed to be third on stage one, uh, probably better than she would have done staying in the group and sprinting. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, it, I don't know that that was her entire game plan from the get-go, but it really seemed to, she really seemed to make it work. She's like, well, I'm going to do whatever I can and grab whatever seconds I can, and hopefully it all works out. I think it's easy to sort of watch a one-day attack Watch a watch a crazy attack in a one day and be like, well, you know, they always do that and it never works out. Um, there's there's a little more opportunity to try it and and make it work in a in a stage race. Yeah, she seems super engaged the whole time. You know, she was just really going for it always. And even yeah, okay, she got third after she was caught on the line, but then I think it was the third stage she still got one of the stages she got third again, like in the sprint as well. Uh, yeah. So it seem it seems to me a little bit like Van Vluten got first a little bit by coincidence or by like <laughs> chance almost she just had a really steady good race but um you know it, pretty much from the time trial she didn't she was up there in the results but never really on the podium she didn't have anything super impressive she just was consistent and more consistent than everybody else uh so i think it's just that two seconds is probably got to be pretty painful for Cicely. yeah that the, the time trial is what really sealed it for event and she took uh, enough time to to hold on to and and uh Utrecht Ludwig did fine in the TT she was 17th on the day but that was the that was the one stage where she really lost a bunch of time uh lost what 30 20, 29 yeah, seconds about... to, to Ved Vleuten and 52 to Grace Brown I thought Zoe Vaxet had an awesome ride uh she's just super young and in the elite field I thought it was pretty cool there were a couple of time trial results I thought that were notable like Loretta Hansen fourth I believe she had a really good ride uh just beating some really solid time trial riders and not being you know being I think everybody's it's hard not to just compare yourself to wherever Van Vluten finished um I think a lot of people do that whether you're beating her or being beat by her you just compare to your time to her and I think that there's plenty of riders that'll be pretty stoked with how close they're getting to those times and again Grace Brown having another smashing TT was very fun to see after her kind of like not great start to the year yeah, you mentioned Backset and how young she's. She's 18, which is kind of mind-boggling that she's able to be up there where she was. A TT is not a discipline where you can just uh, kind of luck your way into a result. Uh, obviously, Zoe Backset has some talent and some strength. She finished seventh 
and was, yeah, right up there with some big names, not that far behind Van Vleuten and, and well ahead of, like, Emma Norsgaard, who is a super talented rider. Uh, and, and, yeah, so good on Zoe Backstedt. I think we're going to see more more from her, more exciting stuff from her in the future. Uh, and then, yeah, Lorena Wiebes did what she was supposed to do. It doesn't make it any less impressive that she that she took the two the two wins that she did. Well, they they also weren't prototypical sprint stages. It was pretty. It was there were some questions both days about whether the course uh, would be too hard for her to stay in touch or to to have a solid sprint from. And she, she definitely looked pretty good uh, in both of them, especially on stage three. She really kind of didn't have the support she usually has kind of had to just sort of eat wind as gently as she could before catching a wheel and launching a sprint. And, uh, you know, kind of people, the, the, the people who are upset with S day works winning everything, you know, this, this could be the thing that sort of shakes up their team. She's there through 2025, but it may be, she decides she's, she's wants and thinks she can win some classics. And honestly, it looks like she really could. Um, so I, I, I would actually be curious to see what happens when her contract's up. Wouldn't be surprised if she winds up on a new team kind of built around getting her uh, wins on races she hasn't won yet. Yeah, re- regarding kind of going from being a sprinter to a classic star, she, there's already a rider on this team who has done that quite well. And I think uh, there's only so many room. There's only so much room for big winners at S-Day Works. Uh, that said, they do a darn good job of kind of spreading the wins around. And it seems seems like riders who go there just win a lot. So Lorena Webus continuing to prove that she's super, super, super strong, super fast. Uh, Amber Crack was another big surprise of the race to me. She's not someone who has done that much in terms of big results. Uh, riding for the Umbovisma team, she has had a heck of a let's see how long has it been since the last so a heck of a month of August, I guess. She she won a, a one day La Perigord. And uh, then finished third overall at Scandinavia, where she was very much in the mix, second in the TT, and just in general looked really strong. It looked like she she was a real again, it's sort of like Annemiek van Vleuten, just a, a very consistent ride from her to be able to be in the mix every day and pull off this this strong result for Yumbo, uh, a team that got some uh, less great news just I guess today, yesterday, with Mariana Voss, uh, who. Yeah, she uh, had iliac artery surgery, like so many other riders in the last few years, uh, having suffered from a lack of power. She said, quote, a lack of power uh, in her left leg and just got surgery to treat iliac artery issues. So hopefully things will be back to normal for her at some point in the next several months. This is a tough one to come back from. That's a, that's surgery. It's, it's, uh, sometimes we see riders come back from it. Sometimes riders really do struggle to come back from it. And hopefully the the greatest of all time will be able to be in the in the group of riders who do well in their in their comeback. Uh, but yeah, tough tough day, tough news for Yumbo Visma. But at least um, Mariana Voss's compatriot uh, was able to take that that podium. All right. Lastly, on the on the big docket of news today, the Renui Tour, which used to be called the Enico Tour, the Bink Bank Tour, the Benelux Tour. It's the Renui Tour, and despite the fact that we are making fun of its name, it did have plenty of big names there, a bunch of World Tour teams, a bunch of very, very interested Belgians riding on home turf trying to take some World Tour victories, and Tim Wellens was your winner in the end. By the way, this is his third ever GC win in this race, so 
if if they're looking for a new name anytime soon, maybe they could just tour of Tim Wellens, powered by Tim Wellens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be great. The the Benelux tour of Tim Wellens, powered by Tim Wellens. Uh, once again, taking the overall win. I feel like Cosmo, we like we were talking about Tim Wellens winning the Eneco tour, like back in the day when we were first ago. doing our first yeah. podcasts. Uh, he won back to back, and then he kind of. I remember, I remember very clearly because Tom Dumoulin had a really good Eneco tour back then, and I remember thinking maybe this guy could be a GC racer, and then he did win a a Grand Tour, uh, and yeah, after all those years, Tim Wellens back. Uh, unfortunately, much like the Vuelta, though, this race had some drama for the wrong reasons. More protests uh, on the last stage. They, uh, the riders, basically said this is too dangerous. Ultimately, ended up taking GC times. Uh, early, so Matej Mohoric, who took the final stage, was kind of unable to actually fight for GC. And I'm just thinking, you know what? These races need to do better because they're World Tour races. But more, maybe just as importantly, is the fact that if you're a post-tour race, you are already fighting for eyeballs. You are already struggling to get people to care about you. Uh, so it, as if rider safety was not enough of a reason, which it should be, by the way, but as if it weren't enough... You need to be in the news for the right reasons. And uh, Bink Bank, Eneco, Benelux, Renewi Tour, not really doing a great job. And then the Vuelta, you would have thought, would be better at that as well. One of the talking points, though, that from, from that stage, uh, Mohoric did say that uh, you know the riders also knew about this route from a while out. It wasn't like they were being blindsided either. So I was intrigued that he said you know this he basically said this was sort of on them as well wasn't just totally blaming the organizer and i thought that was an interesting talking point uh, i don't know ruth are, are you looking at, at like stage finishes courses that sort of thing well in advance before the races i mean is this something that you generally are aware of well well in advance or is this something you generally find out the day or two ahead of the race mm, a lot of that depends on kind of my role within a team i would say I think if I'm just working, then I might not know the exact finish of every stage. But if I'm going to do well, then yeah, you're know it. You know what it's like well before you're even at the race for sure. You look at Google Earth, whatever Street View. You get to be a real nerd about spreadsheets and knowing everything for sure. Did you Google Earth Leadville? Oh, you know every single mile. <laughs> Uh, the other the other uh, talking point I had out of Renewi Tour, at least, was that Josh Tarling took a win in the TT. Uh, I I don't know. I feel like I, I, I'm letting our UK listeners down for, for being surprised by this and for being surprised by his uh, world's podium. But I promise I'll never be surprised by Josh Tarling again. Uh, I, I want to see Josh Tarling versus JJ Watt. Some, some form of enormous people pedaling bikes real hard. It's a real shame that J.J. Watt didn't decide to be a pro cyclist because the name alone. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's true. Yeah, yeah. We should. I, I should explain. Well, there's a... J.J. Watt, I think, tweeted something about a Peloton workout where he was... I think there, were, what, there were a couple hundred people in it and he was like seventh or something and he put out, he put out like 700 watts for 20 minutes or something absurd. Um, and if, if you divide by his mass, which is, which is substantial, it's still not like, I mean, it's like a mere four or five watts per kilo, but the amount of energy he is able to transfer into a bicycle is truly astounding. And Sam Tarling is also very large um, and probably plays to advantage uh, in a TT like this one. Yeah, I think 
the the point is that maybe JJ Watt should be a track racer because you know watts per kilo doesn't really matter when you're when you're on the track so much. It's, it's just true. watts, right? And there's a lot of pushing people out of the way, which he's already true. Good at. He's pretty. So. For those of you who don't know, uh, because this is a very American conversation, JJ ah, Watt is a fair. player of of a sport, gridiron football. Recently retired, I believe. Uh, in which people um, throw a, a a strangely shaped ball around. Uh, yeah, you should check it out. It's a fun sport, and JJ Watt is one of the one of the best defensive players in that sport in recent memory. And he also apparently lives up to his surname uh, on the bike, despite being huge. Yeah, like Josh Tarling, who will never surprise me again because he has now won a World Tour race. This is his first World Tour win. Also super young, 19 years old. So the young British time trialists having a bit of a moment right now between him and Zoe Baxter. All right, that's, uh, I think that's kind of all we got. We got lots of Welta action to come. The race is still quite close. And then there's also the, uh, the Plouet races, men's and women's. The, uh, the men's is the Britannic Classic West France, and the women's race is now the Classic Lorient Agglomeration. Uh, I, yeah, they like to change up the names of this race, but it's been in Plouet in Western France for quite some time. Actually, I mean, this is this is decades of of racing here, even though the name is seems like it changes every year. But usually, pretty good racing on on both men's and women's sides. Uh, the the men's race uh, this year we got the likes. Uh, yeah, let's see, Christophe Laporte will be there, and Mess Peterson will be there, and on the women's side, uh, some of the. Some of the big names that are going to be there include uh, Mavi Garcia, Anuska Coaster, Sylvia Persico, Cassiano Vidoma, Amanda Spratt, Lizzie Dagnan. Yeah, plenty of reasons to watch uh, both of those events. I know it's uh, it's a lot of racing to watch at once, but I, I can't complain about too many bike races because I like watching bike racing. Who doesn't? Yeah, lots to talk about coming up. Hope you will be able to watch all of the racing in the next few days. World Tour men's and women's, under-23 women's. Yeah. Lots to lots to follow. Yes, I know the tour is over, but there's still a lot of great racing with some big names going on at the moment. And away from the World Tour, the Tour de l'Avenir. Femme. For the first time. I believe it's the first ever women's edition of the race. Lots of exciting things to see there. We, we saw some riders of the future on the men's side over the past week. I think Mexican cycling fans in particular have to be pretty pleased. It's been a long time since we've seen someone with the promise that... Uh, Isaac Del Toro showed at the Tour de l'Avenir taking a stage win and the overall there, uh, 19 years old, and someone who clearly has a bright future. Matthew Riccatello, for the American fans, taking a stage win, took the time trial, stage 7A. It did lose some time there and ultimately finished fourth overall uh, after having won the, the, the time trial and briefly led the race. But still, really, really uh, exciting result for a guy who's 21 years old and are, and already racing you know, as, as a pro with Israel Premier Tech. Uh, but yeah, lots... Lots to look forward to with the women's edition of that coming up, the first ever Women's Tour de l'Avenir. I think we're going to talk about that more in the other various podcasts on the network. So check out the placeholders and we'll talk. And you know what? Check out Geek Warning if, if you haven't already, even even though that's you know got nothing to do with Tour de l'Avenir. You should just check out all of our podcasts on the Escape Collective Network. All right, that's it for the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. Thanks again for listening. And if you haven't already, head over to escapecollective.com slash join and sign up. You can save 30% by signing up for a yearly membership. By the way, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you as part of the community. And uh, we'd love to have your support. Cosmo, Ruth, good talking to you. See you next time.